Thank you, Rich. Uh, morning, everybody. I, I just thought I'd give you a quick introduction for those people that don't know me. So, obviously, my name's Rich. Uh, my name's Rich. That started off well. My name's Josh. You, you throw me out. My name's Josh. Um, I'm married to Esther, and we've got three kids: Alexia, George, and Elliot. I had to get that bit right, didn't I? Um, and you know. Kids can say the best things sometimes, can't they? And I was talking to um, Alexia and Georgia this morning while we were having breakfast. And um, Georgia asked me if I was ready for, for today, if I'd got everything sorted for my talks. I said, yeah. I said, I'm a little bit nervous though. So I asked them if they'd got any advice. I said, you know, you two do a lot of dancing shows. You do uh, quite a lot of things at school when you're on stage. Uh, and Alexia went, well, just don't try and be funny. So, all right. Uh, and George, and George said, don't, yeah, and don't try and be clever. And I thought they're my best attributes, so I was a, I was a bit confused by that. Um, but anyway, we're going to be, um, everyone's told me to just be myself, so I'm going to ignore what the girl said, and I'm going to uh, just, I'll, I'll try and be funny. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to be continuing uh, this morning looking through James. So Carl's already looked at considering trials as joy. And last week, Steve looked at uh, asking for wisdom and not being double-minded. And somehow, I've ended up this week with uh, talking about money, which obviously is everyone's favourite subject to talk about, isn't it? Um, so let's... Uh, but I, I do find it strange, actually, that I don't like talking about money. You know, I wouldn't really want to put my bank details up on the screen, and I'm sure most people here wouldn't. But money's so important, isn't it? It's important because it affects us all. It doesn't matter if you've got a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you've not got a lot of money. It affects you in some way. Um, and, you know, it affects how we view other people, and it affects how other people view us. And it affects how we deal with trials and temptations that come our way. And another reason that I think it's important that we do talk about it is because it talks about it a lot in the Bible. Jesus talked about it a lot, and James talks about it a lot. And we're only nine verses in to James, and he's already starting to look at it. So let's have a look what James has got to say then. We're looking at um, James 1, verses 9 to 11. And he says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. So, after I'd read this a few times, I started asking myself a couple of questions. Um, what can we boast in? What can we actually take pride in? And what can we truly rely on? Now, the thing that I think um, James is saying is giving both poor and rich people the same advice, and that's basically to take to take pride in their financial situation that they find themselves in. But you might think that that's contradictory to what it tells us in other parts of the Bible. So in Corinthians it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, so it's basically saying that we should uh, boast in the Lord, boast in the gospel. But I don't think James is being contradictory at all. I think that's exactly what James is telling us to do. But what James recognises is that depending on your financial situation that you find yourself in, um, it's going to affect how uh, the gospel changes your life. Uh, so it's this, you're going to go through different uh, difficulties, different circumstances. So the gospel, gospel is going to impact you in a different way. You know, it's the same gospel, but it affects us all in different ways. I was trying to, um, 
I was trying to think of a way of um, explaining how the world views um, money and how we how we all look at um, how we all judge people on the financial situation they find themselves in. And the best way I thought of doing this is through a board game. I'm sure most of you can um, can figure out which board game I'm talking about. But I just want to show a clip first. Have you got that? Now, I, I absolutely love this game, but it always ends up like that. It always ends up in tears. Uh, and in fact, um, just last year, we, uh, we had some friends over from the church, actually, and we were playing this game. And I tell you what, you soon figure out people's true colours when you play that game. Um, yeah, and it, it nearly ended my relationship with someone in this church. Um, I'm not going to say who it is, but if you do ever have uh, Andy Payton around, don't play Monopoly with him. <laughs> But the reason I wanted to, to look at that is because I think uh, Monopoly is almost like uh, putting a microscope on how we view money as a society. Um, so when you play Monopoly, to win the game, you've got to have all the money. And as soon as you start getting money, you want more, you want to buy more properties. Uh, and when you've got all the money, you win the game. And on the other hand, uh, as soon as you start losing the money, you, it's judged as though you're losing the game. And that's how I think, as a society, in, in, in basic terms, that's how we, we view it. So, James uh, first talks to people in a poor position. He says, those in humble circumstances. Now, I don't know where you find yourself financially or what sort of financial situations you've been through uh, in the past, but it's fair to say that growing up, we were pretty skint. Um, my mum was a single parent trying to bring up uh, three, three young lads. Um, and we'd move house, move schools quite a lot. Um, and because we moved schools quite a lot, I always wanted to try and fit in, always wanted to try and make friends. But to fit in when you were a kid at school, you had to have the right clothes, you had to have a pair of trainers with a tick on the side. Uh, you even had to have the right uh, carrier bag. I mean, I remember going into school once with a Netto carrier bag and I got absolutely rinsed. Um, but you even got judged, I mean, they were free then as well. You didn't even have to pay for them. Um, but, you know, so from an early age, I realised that, that you got judged on, on what you could afford, what you could, uh, what, you, what possessions you had, and, uh, and we couldn't afford those things. Um, and the problem is that if you, and, and I ultimately I thought that by having those things, that would give me happiness and, and I'd be, uh, I could fit in with everybody else and I could be uh, part of the crowd. Uh, and I'd be happy if I had those things. But the problem is, if you don't have those things, uh, then, you, then you start, you can either feel uh, less about yourself. You know, I felt like I was at the uh, bottom of the pile and I wanted what everybody else had. Um, and we can, it's so easy to get caught up in this idea that money equals success and happiness. But we see time after time that life isn't about money. And we know that ultimately, that's not what we're designed for. So growing up, I was desperate for what other people had. I was desperate to try, and, uh, to try and fit in. And there's no way that I could have done what James is saying here. There's no way that I could have thought of myself in a high position. Um, and that's the last place that I, that I thought I was. Uh, but that's what the gospel gives us as Christians. And I love this quote by this uh, guy called Sam Albury. He says, the message of the gospel to even the poorest and most destitute Christian is that in Christ you are a somebody. I think, that's, I think that's what James is getting at here, is telling us that because of the gospel, we have actually made it. There's something greater to look forward to that far exceeds what any amount of uh, money can buy. 
So if you feel that you fall into this first category, that James, James tells you that when you're feeling like you don't live up to the world's standards of someone who's, who's made it, someone who's winning that game of Monopoly, um, that the Bible offers us something different that far exceeds what any amount of uh, money can buy. He then moves on to look at the rich and he says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. And at first I thought, that's a bit harsh. I mean, who, who can take pride in their humiliation? Because I certainly don't, don't like being humiliated and I'm sure most people here don't uh, like being humiliated. So how can we take pride in our humiliation? And like I said, as a kid, we couldn't afford the things that I thought would help you fit in. So that's what I wanted. So I worked, worked hard, blagged my way into uni. I actually did blag my way into uni. You can ask Esther all about that. Um, and I managed to uh, get a decent job. Um, and I thought I was starting to, to win at life. Uh, I thought I was starting to, to achieve the, the goal that I was set, set out on this Monopoly course. Um, and we'd, we'd just got married. We'd just bought our first house. And for a kid who lived in council houses as a, as a young lad, it was, um, it was quite a big thing to be buying our first house. Um, and although on paper it looked like I'd achieved uh, what I'd set out to do, I, I could now afford those things that I thought would make me happy, it wasn't enough. And I was working with people who'd got nicer houses, nicer cars, and that's what I want. So even though on paper it looked like I'd got what I thought would make me happy, it didn't. I wanted more. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying that money is necessarily a, a bad thing uh, or the things that come with it. And it's not a bad thing to, to try and want a, a decent job. But I, I, remember, uh, I remember going into a church once, actually, and I was wearing a T-shirt that had got a skull on it. And somebody said, you can't wear that, you can't wear that T-shirt, it's evil. And I thought, why, why is it evil? Because it's got a skull on it. I mean, I've got a skull in my head. Um, you know, just if somebody wants to use a skull as a symbol of something that's bad, you know, like a pirate... Um, then, then they can do, but it doesn't make a skull in itself bad. It's like I could take a knife and I could carve a, a loaf of bread and I could feed my friends and family. Or I could take a knife and I could stamp somebody with it. It's not the knife in itself that's bad. It's the actions that we do with it. It's what, it's what we do with it. It's the same for money. So money in itself is not inherently bad. It's, it's the position that we let it take over our lives and it's what we do with it that is bad. And like I say, I thought, I'd, I, thought I was getting somewhere. Uh, I, was, I was starting to take pride in, in my position that I'd, I'd, I'd got for myself. And then in 2009, um, the financial crash caught up with the practice that I was working in at the time. And I got uh, pulled into the office and we were told there were going to be some redundancies made. Now, thankfully, I didn't get made redundant. But, but for a period, I was, I was panicking. I was worried. I was worried that all this uh, stuff, this uh, picture that I'd built up, this mask that I'd built up, was going to be taken away. Uh, and I guess I'd been using, it was like a crutch that I'd been resting on, and I didn't realise I was resting on it until someone was about to knock it from underneath me. And I guess that, ultimately, I'd been deceiving myself, because I, I thought that's what uh, I needed to make me happy. Uh, and it was just about to be taken away. I, was, I thought I was going to be going back to where I started, back to the starting board, back to starting that game of Monopoly again. And you see, wealth in any sort can be deceptive, and it's so easy to be defined by your wealth or by possessions. And in some ways, we can deceive our, our view of ourselves and our abilities. 
and we think we've got it all in control when in fact uh, we've got no control at all. Now I had no control in that, uh, in that situation at work. I could have lost my job and I got no there was nothing that I could do about it. And there's this story in the Bible in Mark uh, about a rich man who asks Jesus what else, what else he needs to do to get to heaven. Um, I mean, he said, he said to Jesus that, you know, I'm, I'm a good man. I've kept all the commandments. I've kept, kept all, the, all the laws. Uh, and in the eyes of the world, he was a successful man and he was doing well. And then, so it's, it's Mark 10, 21 to 22. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I think, um, I don't think this, this man realised what importance, what a grip wealth had over him, but Jesus recognised it, and I think that's why he challenged him with that. And I think until it had been painted uh, in this way by Jesus, I don't think this man had realised that. I think he'd been deceiving him uh, himself over his abilities and the importance that money had in his life. And this man walked away empty-handed, not because he didn't want salvation or heaven, but he, because he just couldn't uh, stand to, he couldn't bear to need it. I think what James is saying here is that for the rich, the gospel contradicts what the world says. No matter how hard we work or how big uh, our bank balance is, the gospel is utterly humbling. And for a Christian, we have to accept that before God, we are bankrupt. We have to accept uh, that we can only have salvation because God has been generous. And our achievements, our possessions have no bearing whatsoever. I think James is saying that a rich Christian should take their pride in their humility. Because before God, they are bankrupt. They need a spiritual handout. Uh, they have to come to God for charity. And that can be quite difficult for someone who is not used to getting things on their own terms. So, wherever, wherever, uh, so whether we're rich or poor, whatever our financial position, if our finances put us in times of trouble, uh, cling to that hope that we find in the gospel. James finishes with uh, this image of how easily our wealth can disappear and how quickly we can find ourselves with nothing. It paints this picture of a barren land, the desert, and right in the middle of, the, of this barrenness is this beautiful flower. Uh, but the flower is brittle, and it only takes a bit of heat from the sun, and the game's over. Um, and the flower withers and it dies, and leaves nothing but that barrenness that it started with. And I think James is trying to show us that money and possessions can soon disappear. And it's foolish to take pride in something that it can be gone in, in any moment. You know, people have gone to bed rich and woke up poor. People have gone to bed rich and they've not woke up at all. But people can take pride in other things as well. Um, you might take pride in your looks, but they'll just disappear with age. Well, for some of us anyway. Um, <laughs> you, might, you might take pride in your sporting abilities, uh, but they'll disappear as soon as the next wave of talent comes along. You might even take pride in a relationship that you thought was solid, but that can disappear as soon as a tough time comes along. So what can we truly take pride in then? Uh, or what can we truly rely on? And I think James is pointing to what the gospel offers us. Now, I was trying to think of a, a good way of, um, of explaining 
uh, what what the gospel offers us and what it points to. Um, but I found I found something that Francis Chan did, so I thought I'd just nick what he did and use that instead of trying to come up with my own. So he got a piece of rope, but I'm just going to use a telephone cord. Now you might have uh, some of you might have seen this before. You might have seen Francis Chan doing it. Uh, but basically, he gets a long piece of rope. This is a bit longer than mine. And he says, imagine that this rope continues. It goes through the door, it goes around the world, and it just keeps going round and round. Uh, and he said, this, this piece of rope is, a, time, is a, a timeline of your life. And he said, this end bit here is your time on earth. The rest of it is everything after. That's, that's eternity. That's everything that we go uh, after your time on earth. And we can get so caught up, so hung up in this time here, this little time. And, you know, we can work and work and work and save and save and save in all this little bit here just so we can retire and have a nice life in this last little bit. And we forget what's, what's uh, to come. And, you know, what we do in this small section uh, impacts on how we spend the rest of the time. So... One thing I've taken from this passage is not to get hung up on things that will fade away like a flower. Don't invest time getting consumed by money or by possessions or by what other people think of you. Take hope, take pride in the one thing that will last. But I know that's easier said than done. Um, I mean, it was only just a couple of months ago um, I was talking to a neighbour. He was only in his um, mid-50s. And he'd just retired. And I was like, how have you managed to retire that young? I was like, I thought I'm going to be about 90 when I retire. Uh, and he said, I'll tell you what I did. I, I uh, put everything I could, all my money I could, and I put it into paying off my mortgage. And then as soon as I paid my mortgage off, I put everything I could into uh, my savings account, into my pension pot. And he said, if I could give you any advice, it's to do that as soon as you can. Get your mortgage put, paid off as soon as you can. I thought, that's... That's good advice, that. So I found myself sat there looking at my finances, trying to work out how I could pay my mortgage off quicker, how I could try and achieve this goal. Uh, I even found myself looking at stopping paying some of the charities that I give money to, some of the uh, ministries that I pay to. Not the church there, Rich. That's all right. Uh, but I, f I actually found myself in that position. And I had to have a little chat with myself. I had to have a bit of me time and just have a little talk and think, what am I doing? You see, I was, I was falling into the trap of concentrating on this little bit and I forgot about this. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. So I think we just have to keep reminding ourselves, keep checking what has control over our hearts and keep checking what we're relying on and where, where we're putting our life. Uh, and I love this quote by this guy called James Frick. I love that name as well. Uh, it says, don't tell, don't tell me what your priorities are. Show me where you spend your money and I'll tell you what they are. And that's a good, that's a good test, I think, for us. You know, we can have a look at our finances, see where we're spending our money, and it might just point, point us to where our priorities lie and what has control over our lives. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard of a guy called Steve Jobs. Uh, he was the founder of, or co-founder of Apple. Uh, it's fair to say he was pretty minted. Um, and he was well known for his public speeches. Uh, whenever they got a new piece of technology out, he'd do these massive, uh, elaborate speeches. And uh, he, after his death in 2011, this essay started doing the rounds. 
um, that was supposedly his uh, last essay that he wrote on his deathbed. Now, most people uh, don't believe that it was written by uh, Steve Jobs, but it was certainly wrote as though he was the author. And I just thought I'd uh, read a little bit to you because it kind of sums up what we've been talking about. So it says, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I'm accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. And then it goes on. And then he says, what is the most expensive bed in the world? The sick bed. You can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone to bear the sickness for you. And you know, as Christians, we do believe that someone has paid that cost for, of the sick bed for us. And no amount of money that we can make in this life can repay that cost. It's been given to us free of charge. And that's ultimately what we can boast in.